only Tigers, uh, who have not struck out against Gibson, are Stanley with a single, Work with a single, and McCarter with a bounce out to first base in the first three innings. Everybody and welcome to episode 63 of the BBA today. Uh, as noted on the boards, Ron's a little bit busy, so uh, I'm joined today by Joe Letterer of Boise. Um, I'm Ted Schmidt, newly of Twin Cities, and we have some playoffs and awards and other things to talk with you guys about today. How are you doing, Joe? I am great, and uh, congr- thanks for having me, first of all, and uh, congratulations on uh, on getting your franchise. Yeah, it's it's kind of exciting, right? Um, I am going to do things a little bit different this time. I intend <laughs> to start from absolute rock bottom, as bad as I can possibly make it. Uh, I'm not going to get there right away. Um, I'm going to kind of push all the chips in this year, I think, and, and see what I can do with a 60-win team in one year. Just, I've never done that before. You know, I've never just really tried to go complete 100% win now, so I thought I'd give it a shot while it's... Why not? We'll see what happens, especially with a team that you wouldn't expect that to be a good idea with. So. Does, does that mean with the fact that you want to do a rebuild, does a, a, a one year all in, does that mean just you're going to go bonkers and free agency on, on one year deals? Every single prospect gone, every dumb contract I can sign in free agency. I wish it had been last year's class. Um, but this, cause this year's doesn't really look like it has the parts I need. So I don't know how much I'll be able to overspend in free agency and like stuff like, you know, trading a 70% developed 60 potential pitcher for like a, you know, a really, really old 70 potential guy, you know, just stuff where it's like, this is not going to look good in a year, but we'll see what happens. Cause I just want to know like what happens if you, you know, push all of the buttons. So it'll be fun. I you know, absolutely I, we'll see how aggressive I can get myself to be because I'm already having problems like I think I already signed a bunch of reasonable extensions and I'm like what are you doing Ted don't sign reasonable extensions sign stupid <laughs> ones <There> so <laughs> I don't know we'll see um do you want to I had let's just look at the matchups really quickly I think sure. so we've got Edmonton versus San Antonio uh, in one half of the cart right and then in the other half we have Omaha and Long Beach uh Robillard is probably just, you know, he doesn't really give two craps about me or what I say, but in my mind, he is telling me to eat crow and his team is not done. Um, what do you think about that matchup? Do you have any overarching thoughts or? Well, the, the, the most drastic thing that stands out is it's uh, two frontier teams, obviously. So, uh, kudos, <laughs> kudos to my fellow frontier GMs, uh, for sliding their way in, into the cart, right? Man, I think it's a, it's a, a tale of two drastically different teams. I mean, San Antonio has been extremely strong all year. Uh, for the most part, they're they're healthy. They're they're, they're kind of a, a juggernaut. And uh, to use a phrase by uh, another team still in the playoffs, uh, Long Beach's smoke and mirrors. Uh, Chris is still in it. So this is a bunch of uh, ones and zeros, you know, that that you you put in your lineup. But I I think the players. If they have emotions, I think uh, this is uh, kind of Edmonton's, you know, we're up back up against the wall still. No one thinks we can do it. Are we the team of destiny? Uh, and I, 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 you just can't ever count Roblard's team and, and this team out. They've uh, 
all year they've kind of, uh, whether it's, you know, injuries or slow starts or players, you know, stinking up the joint, they're, they're still here. And uh, his, his players are starting to heat up. So that's going to be a really fun matchup. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that assessment of Edmonton, especially the part where they, you know, really started to heat up. I, I, we could probably go back and pick like a low point for them in the year mm-hmm. and look at their records since then. And I, I would bet that it's pretty remarkable. Some of the guys that were underperforming and were still underperforming to some degree when I kind of pronounced them dead a couple months back um, have really caught fire. The, the thing that stands out to me looking just briefly at this is it looks like Edmonton was able to get their rotation in order. Uh, prior to the series and San Antonio seems like they may not have been able to just the way their last round went. Um, They're going to get, if this goes seven games, they'll get two Ricardo Rivera starts, but they might only get uh, one Ruben Vasquez. And that's, you know, that's really not where you want to be. They're going to have to go with some of their weaker starters in at least game one. And if not game one and game two, so they could end up kind of in a hole or, or who knows, maybe they'll just sweep them and it won't because it's, you know, it's playoff baseball and it's basically random. So Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think Vasquez pitched in the deciding game and, and, you know, while you'd like to have, you know, your, your top two aces available for, you know, every, every round, you, you still have to advance. So right. uh, that that's, that's definitely going to be something he's going to have to overcome. It's, it's interesting. You said, you know, Edmonton, was able to get their rotation in order. You know, one thing that shouldn't be overlooked is not only were they able to get their rotation in order, but they added it, you know, almost like a, a, a postseason trade is they got Chandler Hall back. And that's a big boost. Uh, say what you will about, you know, his injuries and his proclivity to, to blisters, but uh, having him is, is huge. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's going to be a big thing for them. I would think, um, do you have a do you have a favorite in that series? Um, I'm probably gonna go chalk on that. Um, no, no disregard to, to Chris, but uh, I, I think San Antonio is is quite. Uh, I think they're the second best team behind Rockville in the in the entire uh, league, um, uh, Johnson League, and I I just uh, as much as I like to see them, you know, Chris to keep going, I I just don't see the outlaws. Not not advancing. This could go a full seven, but I, I think it'll be San Antonio at the end. Yeah, I think I might take Edmonton mm-hmm. just because they've been just playing so very well. But so San Antonio, I don't know. I I don't know. Stephen Collins wasn't that great too, and you know they, they've got where it's playing well. Their pitching's doing well. If, if Collins can be Collins of of old and, and Collins of past postseasons he's been he's been a stud in the postseason and uh, Jose Salas has been in, incredible in, in past postseasons he, he's won multiple series MVP awards so they got guys that that can definitely step it up so uh, yeah. definitely don't count them out yeah I think I'm just going kind of weird I'm not a go with your gut guy but something makes me want to pick Edmonton and so sure. I'm just going to this time um and then the other series we have Omaha versus Long Beach man that's you know, it's just another really. I'm I'm actually fairly excited about this matchup. I, yeah, me too. This is, this is very interesting matchup for sure. Omaha, much like Edmonton, although you know with not as big of a hole in the injury problems, just didn't really play well out of the gate. And um, Niles made some very good adjustments, and his team kind of you know caught fire. And um, they've they've been one of the you know easily in the top tier of teams in the league. 
the entire second half of the season. And um, then you've got, you know, Steven with Long Beach has my vote for GM of the year on his side. Um, mm -hmm. Apologies to Ron for his amazing, amazing record. But, you know, Ron is kind of the victim of his own success. And that when he's good, we're like, meh. Ron. <laughs> uh, it's Ron and it's Yellow Springs and we won't have to worry about it too too late into October. Oh, that's too soon. <laughs> so sad. Um so, you know, I but uh, Stephen did some amazing things, I think, turning Long Beach around from last year. You know, I might be hoping for something like that with Twin Cities in the coming season, maybe. I there there isn't, you know, the the big matchup or uh rotation discrepancy doesn't exist this time around. Uh, pretty much both guys are gonna be able to go with their strong arms i don't know i don't really see a big difference in this one i i, I like omaha's bats better and mm -hmm. while they weren't same. they don't have the same record it, it's kind of a little bit of a mirage you know we always talk about steven smoke and mirrors the pacific just isn't that strong of a division and you know all in and, and steven was again also very good in the second half of the season when he really got rolling so um it both teams were playing well. They continue to play well. I just, I just think Omaha's a little bit more balanced. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, but I do think there is a drastic. Nah, I won't say drastic. I think there is a, a difference in style, though. Uh, Omaha, you know, has I wouldn't say a deep lineup, uh, but you know they have five, six players that are very good, and they did lead the the frickin' home runs and Long Beach. Uh, behind uh, Chikanov and Delgado's come out of nowhere, and then that you know much ballyhooed uh, bullpen with with Lozano, uh, they have one of the best pitching staffs in the entire league, not just in in, in the Frick. So uh, this could be a kind of offense versus defense, you know, who who can uh, bend but not break kind of matchup. So you know what, I might flip. Oh no, I'm not going to. I should, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Um, so do you, who do you? Do you have one you like better in this in this matchup? I'm um, taking Omaha. Yeah, I'm taking Omaha. I'd like to see Long Beach actually win the whole thing, just because I think it'd be great for the record books just to see this team, you know, the big turnaround and sure. kind of a, uh, a a different style of how to build a team. And I think that'd be fun uh, for posterity's sake. And it still is going to be. They they've made it this far, so it's something that should be recognized for for future years but Omaha kind of feels like this team of destiny where they started slow uh they, they made it uh they got past yellow springs I mean Aki Kondo gives up three home runs they're all solo shots and still gets the win I mean kind of everything's clicking for for Omaha so I think it's just gonna they're gonna continue this at, at least through this round I'm not sure how they'll fare uh in a potential landis but uh I'll take Omaha in, in six against Long Beach yeah, that sounds about that sounds about right to me. I think I've got the other one going seven, like yeah. because I don't want to have to pick, and that's, that's <laughs> the cheap, you know, loser way to do it. You know, you brought it up already, and the poor man is probably listening to this and crying uh. into his coffee. So let's just talk about Ron's drought. Um, mm. He has this is one of the best teams I've ever seen in an yes. OCP league. I, it's it and it's really not that close. Like I don't really have to think too hard about other teams. And he has now made the playoffs 17 out of the last 19 seasons. He's had seven 100-win teams out of those and 10 division titles and a whole bunch. The rest are basically almost all second-place finishes with 90-win teams. And he has nothing to show for it. And Nothing. That's getting to be – it is absurd. Like, it, it doesn't – 
it defies logic. You would think, you know, we have, what is it, six, 12 total playoff teams, right? So you would think Correct. your odds are one in 12 if you're calling stuff coin flips, but that's not true. Um, there is a slight advantage to being the better team going in. Right. And so Absolutely. his, you know, I would bet that on a yearly basis, Ron's chances of winning at all are probably something more on the lines of like one in nine or one in eight. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the buy and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you also have to think that a lot of those, uh, you know, probably at least seven or eight of those playoff appearances were in a considerably smaller league, where his chances were probably more like one in six or one in seven. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for him to have zero titles out of all of that, he should have two by now. Like if just with random average luck, he should have two, maybe three. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, I, I made a joke about it in, in Slack uh, when he was eliminated, and uh, it's a quote I love. It's it's my signature in the forums, but it's the Billy Bean quote from Moneyball where it's, my shit doesn't work in the playoffs. And uh, it's true to, to, to a point. I mean, it is it, – it's a short series. Anything can happen. You are playing, you know, better teams than, than the bottom dwellers, so it is a lot tighter. Uh, but like you said, you know, just given random coin flip, he should have one or two at least by now. And he's got a trophy case, you know, collecting dust uh, besides the, the most valuable podcaster award he got last year. <laughs> and they'll probably get again. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, just for some historical comparison, when I got into this league, um, Matt had a pretty big drought. Um, he had, you know, there were, it was enough that people were talking about it. Um, and he had during this, he had an 18 year drought between championships and, you know, given the caliber of, of Reckonwald's, um, teams, you know, that was pretty long. Yeah. And we were, I mean, we were all kind of, you know, the, the story of Matt losing in the playoffs every year back then was pretty frustrating. He did have some down years, like he had a title and then had a, you know, like a five, six year kind of rebuild slash struggling period, but then it was just this monster over and over and over again to the point where it was, it was, you know, remarkable that he hadn't had any titles and that was only 10 playoff teams and four 100 game winners. Yeah. We were just stunned back then. Ron's just, you know, eclipsed that in every possible sense. Um, And just, I, it's, you know, again, absurd, you know, is is the word that keeps coming to mind. It does defies logic. So I, yeah, I, I feel for you, Ron. I'm I'm really sorry. Just just keep clutching to those Heartland Division titles, I suppose. <laughs> he's got to get a new he's gonna have to get a new uh, Heartland banner, but I think he would trade that in for at least one uh, one Landis. Yeah. Well, what do you think the exchange rate is? Is it like, like oh, six that's titles for a... <laughs> yeah yeah at least I think it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty hefty. Uh, uh, pennies on the dollar kind of exchange, I would think. The other thing I wanted to talk about and touched on briefly and probably maybe why I should be picking Long Beach over Omaha and why taking San Antonio over Edmonton, well, it's hard to say. They're both pretty good pitching teams. Might be pretty smart, um, is I'm looking at some of that data Randy posted. Ron and I were talking last time about pitching teams versus hitting teams in the playoff, and I had this supposition that hitting teams – tended to outperform pitching teams and just kind of glancing over what uh, Randy kind of uh, dumped from his giant collection of all things data. It looks like that might not 
be the case. It looks like the, the pitching does okay. And so I've been collecting. I was hoping to have it ready in time for this, but it's taken me longer than I thought. Um, I have been collecting kind of categorizing teams as pitching teams or balance teams and, and looking at strength of matchups and trying to see if you can push any trends. And it looks like pitching teams might actually outperform uh, hitting teams in the playoffs, which is not what I would expect, especially when you look at who the champions have been. Uh, we think of them as all of these hitting monsters, but maybe that's just not the case. Is that something you'd expect to see? Or, you know, how do you feel about that whole what type of team wins in the playoffs? Argument? Yeah, I would I would expect, um, and, and, and maybe it's just a bias of whether it's actually true or not in, in Major League Baseball, or if it's just kind of one of those, you know, uh, not factual uh Wise tail, you got wide tail. Yeah, yeah. narratives is, is you know pitching defense, uh, you know wins you championships. Um, I'm not sure if that started in football or in baseball or what, but or uh, whatever you know, sport. That, yeah, whatever <laughs> sport, you know, cricket. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, that's how I build my team. I, I try to build my team with pitching. You wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that if you looked, but uh, I try to build my team with pitching and defense. Um, and so I would, I would guess that but yeah looking at the data dump and, and i haven't had the chance to really dive in but it does look like you know hitting does skew a little bit to maybe being you know a 60 40 kind of split of you know uh if, if you had to pick one which one's going to be better the thing i would like to see is kind of comparing the two because there's been a lot of like at least recently since i've been in the league there's been some really good pitching teams like louisville but they've been awesome in offense too so these aren't like teams that are top-notch pitching and terrible terrible offense and then great offense and terrible pitching uh obviously the the better you can have in both it's going to help but yeah i i looking at the numbers it it just seems like offense kind of skews to the way you should go and and the interesting thing about you know the bba is we have kind of the funny and funky park factors so a team can build towards their strengths and kind of exploit that come come the playoffs can't can Chikanoff you know stop the Omaha hitters in Omaha with with that park I don't know right yeah no these are I mean these are really interesting questions um and yeah sometimes when I look at that data it seems pretty clear that hitting helps other times when I look at it it seems like there's a pitching edge so that what's taken me so long is trying to figure out how to classify a team as a hitting team or a pitching team and then seeing what they're matched up against and it's just going slowly the other thing is that gives me a three by nine matrix to work with. Um, if I look at like even matchups and pitching team versus balance team, pitching team versus hitting team, mm-hmm. hitting team that's better than they are, you know, that seems to be so. I only have about, I think, uh, 70 years of Landis matchups that Randy <laughs> gave me. That might not be enough. You know, we're talking, if you're looking at like a three by nine matrix, I might need to look at every playoff matchup, right? which Randy probably has and will give me if I ask him. Um, But I don't, I, I will see if I can get something out of 70 matchups before I look at, you know, 600 or whatever the hell it is. (laughs) uh, Cause that would, that would get painful really, really quickly. So that's what I've got. So I'm sorry I didn't have that done, uh, but we'll, I'll have something and maybe we can catch up on it again some other times you had a few things you wanted to look at and go over yeah um in addition to to the playoffs um you know we got award voting going on right now and i i voted uh last night and was kind of looking at the early returns and nothing 
too surprising, but there are a couple things I wanted to uh, to, to bring up and, and chat about. So one was, uh, and this kind of goes into my methodology. Um, I, I do a lot of different sorting. I do it all in, in Stats Plus. I don't pull out any rig- other data or, or look at in-game. I think the Stats Plus uh, kind of ballot leaderboard gives us a, a very clear yeah. picture of, of the numbers. But uh, so in the... Silver Slugger, I sort by WRC plus uh, and, and kind of take a look and then I'll sort by uh, OPS uh, and then I'll sort by war. Um, I do war kind of last because that takes into account defense. And unlike other leagues of baseball, uh, defense should not go into a offensive uh, award. So uh, but I do I do look at that just to see if I missed anything. And. Uh, when I got to the Frick and I sorted by WRC Plus and I got to the shortstop, uh, wow, there is not many good and not many average offensive uh, shortstops over uh, in the Frick League. Uh, Salvador Allende is the is the lone guy. And so I went, wow, there is just not a lot of hitting. So I went over to the Johnson to take a look, and there is just three with over 100. I think someone has 99. So sorry for for sliding you, but it's been brought up in the past with uh, on podcasts. I think it's been brought up in the trade series uh, how I kind of skew towards shortstop or positions of need because it is so thin. Man, it's been brought up before, but there if you have a shortstop um, and he can hit you need to lock that guy up uh, or you need to find him somehow. And they're not being found in, in the draft. The, those mega drafts were, were mostly first basemen, uh, DHs and, and outfielders. So uh, any, any shortstops coming out of there, uh, Lende was in the 38th, uh, 38 draft, but he was a second rounder of all things, but um, <laughs> he should have yeah. gone way higher. Uh, maybe <laughs> right. he bumped, but like, you know, I would imagine that if you're one of the people that took another one of those, you know, kind of mediocre defense, 80 grade because of their hitting corner outfielders, yep. and you could have had a Lende, I might have taken a Lende. Exactly. So it, it's interesting. And, you know, you guys talked about my shortstop, Yamashita, and he was over uh, 100, barely. Um, and he's not a, a masher, and I wouldn't really even call him offensive. He, he just is, he gets the bat on the ball. Uh, but, you know, that's the reason why I locked him up uh, is, you know, I, I bought his last year of arbitration and I'd love to have maybe a different shortstop. That different shortstop probably doesn't exist in the league or isn't attainable. But for I have him and I think he's, you know, looking at the landscape, um, he's incredibly valuable. Um, that doesn't even take into account his defense. So it's just interesting that that position uh, is has just kind of really fallen. It's not totally, you know, surprising. And shortstop's not really a bat first, but if you got a guy who can hit, uh, wow, that is that's super super valuable. Yeah, it is, and, and we keep bringing this up, but it'll be interesting to see what the hitting ratings of all of these very mediocre to poor hitting shortstops are when we turn relative ratings off. Um, will we see that they are in fact mediocre to poor hitting, or do we see would we see that they quote unquote should be closer to league average and acceptable? It's just that our corner outfielders and DHs and first basemen are all insane. You know, it's that idea of are they? Yes, they are by math and by definition below league average hitters, but 
if you took out the Uber drafts, would they be? You know, would they right. be? Or the, how, how far up is the 40 absurdly talented hitters that we have? When you think about it, it's just a ridiculous number. Like, it's, it's literally 30 to 40 guys that are some of yep. the best hitters the league has ever seen, ever, <laughs> at any point. And how far or though is that small cohort of guys moving the needle for everybody else? And, and, and what do you do with that with team building, right? Do you, yeah, you know, there's that idea of how much more valuable is a and then how, cause he is versus how much you spend on him. Or do you lean into the thing that's easy to get? You know, if these guys aren't, you know, the, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a, there's a lot to, a lot to kind of, I'm sure there are multiple ways to go at that problem and come out with a successful solution. But yeah, and I think you're you're going to be a test case to being someone who's going to try to to rebuild a team. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of shortstop Ted is able to to put on the field. None. I've been sending feelers out already. I've already got like three or four <laughs> trade offers in the works. Not offers, but like just people going, "Hey, I'm waiting for some chips to fall, but keep me in mind." Yeah, and there are no shortstops <laughs> anywhere at all. Which is the reason that Twin Cities is currently playing 5,000-year-old Mark Wareham at shortstop. Exactly. And I'm not going to do that because he both cannot hit anymore. Um, there's a chance that, his, that he had a down Babic year and he might have some offensive value at shortstop going forward. But he doesn't have the range to play the position really anymore. And it's just not worth it. But it, it also shows you just how... Um, again, how slanted the game is calling Mark Wareham with his four contact, six home run power, 11 I and four ABK, a 60 grade shortstop with his seven right. range, just because <laughs> the position is so weak. Um, like, let's see if I switch him to third base, which he should be. So switching Mark Wareham to third base, which I think that's what his ratings tell you, right? Like nine arms, seven in right. range. He's a 40. <laughs> so just naming him a shortstop gives him 25 points of potential because the position is just so pathetic right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and uh, I might do a, a, a media guide piece uh, about this, about, about shortstops. And I've, I've started to kind of dive into a couple things, but like, you know, Omaha has Roberto Beltran starting at shortstop Um and they got him in a trade and they gave up a prospect left fielder and a, and, and a nothing arm. And to me, that's, that's a steal no matter what happens with, with that prospect. Uh, they got a shortstop uh, who's 23 years old and under team control. And uh, he, he doesn't look like he is the next, you know, uh, silver silk, uh, silver silk winner uh, at all. But again, in this, uh, in this environment, Roberto Beltran sure looks pretty good. Yeah, I absolutely agree with those kind of things. It's it's maybe I need to be look start looking for people's Roberto Beltrans. Maybe I'll trade one of those. Just while we're playing with the silly moving guys positions around nonsense. <laughs> I love um, it. Ricardo Aragon is a fifty rated third baseman. Uh -huh. with his three infield range and his very mediocre hitting abilities. He's kind of a guy that lumped, looked like he might be a key piece for them and then just lumped and just another crappy thing that happened to poor Scott. So, right, three infield range. If I switch him to shortstop, he goes from 50 to 45. Just the game's <laughs> like, yeah, three infield range, but you can hit a little bit. Yeah, you're a 45-rated shortstop. That sounds good. Exactly. <laughs> like, it doesn't – it's bad, oh, man. It's that is really, bad. really bad. Oh, wow. All right, well, that doesn't Incredible. make me feel – you know, 
I don't feel quite as bad about that because I was thinking, how am I going to fill this position going forward? I don't want to be playing like, you know, Russell Sharp and his no <clears throat> bat of any kind, but maybe I'll just play Russell Sharp or Juan Luis Manuel and be like, you know what, 10 range, 11 error, it's your job. Exactly. Knock yourself out. <laughs> um, four contact, four AVK, five power, six I. Go ham. Let's see. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, I don't know. That's, that's weird. Yep. No shortstops. What do you, no uh, so you think, I want to, you know, you mentioned, so you look at the Sawyer Silk as a hitting award, not an MVP. So, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so, so Silver Slugger. Oh, okay. Sawyer Silk. Okay. I, okay. So, uh, yeah. Sawyer Silk, I look over, uh, overall. You look as an MVP. Uh, I mean, okay. Yeah, I, I do. I think I heard Again, you wrong. I think you said the right thing. I might, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I'm in the case, uh, when it comes to like a, definitely a Sawyer Silk. It's an overall award for me. And I actually do in the major awards of Sawyer Silk in Nebraska. I know there was a joke made about it. Uh, I think, uh, Randy might have said something about he doesn't look at the, the numbers, uh, before awards, uh, cause he doesn't want the narrative, but I actually do build in a, a narrative. I kind of do the Andre Dawson, you know, should a guy who didn't make the playoffs or in last place, you know, make it. And I actually made the case a couple of years ago with, with French, you know, uh, I think he might've been the top hitter, but we missed the playoffs went that year and that whoever was second, you know, made the playoffs. And I actually voted for, uh, the guy who had the second most war, uh, because it was very close in numbers, but his his team made the playoffs. So I kind of build that in. But yeah, for me, Sawyer Silk is is an overall quote unquote MVP okay. award. Yeah, I, I think it. I I don't like. I, I like that we have our own names on our trophies. Um, I wish that the Sawyer Silk branding, the name, made it a little bit more clear that it was an MVP award because I think that's what it's intended to be as well. Um, right. I know there are some people who vote for it like a hitting award. And I I think that's fine if we wanted to label a best hitter, but we need to probably all just pick what that award is. Um, right. And I, I tend to vote for it as, as MVP. I don't... The strange thing is there is a clear war front runner um, in the Frick. Mm-hmm. I don't know that... I haven't really decided. I put my vote in, but I might change it. Um, this gets back to the... You know, by war, uh, Wilson Andrade led the. Um, yeah, you guys have moved teams around that I can't keep. Them <laughs> uh, but he led his. You got, league. You got whichever league he's in. To catch up. <laughs> whichever league he's in, he led that league in war. Yes. And it was by a pretty hefty margin. By a full war, yeah. By a full and win. I'm not sure I'm going to vote for him. Interesting. I think his war total is not a function of how good he is. I mean, it's, it's, I shouldn't say that's that's incorrect. His war total is not entirely a function of how good he is. It's a it's it's a result of scarcity. There are actually more talented and better players who also play premium positions. The the there's just players better than him. Um, sure. But his war total is so high because there aren't any other shortstops. You just kind of wonder about that. And I'm not saying that's that's not a good reason to say well, but there aren't other shortstops and he's that much better than them, and so he was more valuable. Like that's a valid reason, but it just makes you kind of wonder: Do you give him the, what's kind of the best player slash most valuable player award when you know that there are better players who had better years if all the other shortstops hadn't died? Right. I I don't I don't know I don't know how you approach that. Yeah, I I, I don't know uh, apart from how I vote and 
and uh, how Marco votes. I don't know uh, how anyone <laughs> else uh, takes takes things into account. So it's 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 interesting. And, you know, another interesting case is, you know, Brooklyn has two very worthy guys in, in Vega and Sliz. Um, Sliz out Ward Vega, uh, but Vega's uh, trouncing them in uh in voting, so it's interesting to see what what people are are looking at. I I would I I would feel better if people I don't like people like voting for the Nebraska or the Egan by by sorting by saves. I also don't like you know Sawyer Silk just just by war. Um, it makes it makes me feel a little better that people are kind of looking at other things. You know, if it's if he's getting a higher vote total just because he has more RBI, then that's an issue. But uh, based on just war which is kind of the easy way to sort things um it's just it's interesting that vegas uh got plenty more votes than than sliz i would hope that it's not rbi and it's more that vega is just a massively superior hitter right like that you know that that sliz had a good hitting year and because he's a center fielder it gave him lots of war but it's not like you know he's not like an elite all-time hitter and and to be fair though vega's hitting total isn't elite all time either, but it's just incredibly superior. Um, yep. To Sliz. So I don't know. These are all, these are all interesting, interesting questions. Yep. That's why I love, uh, love the voting season. And, and speaking of those, you mentioned a, a kind of interesting or maybe not to me, interesting point of your own, but you have somewhat, you, as you said, you have somewhat of a bone to pick with the uh, love that Pierre Legrand is getting. And yeah. I'm interested to hear. Absolutely. So just for full disclosure, I did not vote for Legrand even in the All-Star game. I thought there were there were much better candidates for to make the All-Star game. And when it came around to Nebraska, um, I did my sorting and looking around and he was nowhere near my ballot whatsoever. Um, just throwing some numbers out there because uh, I don't I'm not sure how people are sorting things or, or looking, but. Uh, and keep in mind, this does take into account relievers, but uh, are, are the relievers in the Nebraska do have to be qualified for for starting pitching. So there aren't any 80 inning kind of guys. These are, are you know, the, the monster, uh, you know, super relievers that we've we've talked about all year. So Legrand's seventh in ERA, eighth in FIP. He's 35th in strikeout percentage. So you figure, well, he doesn't strike out a lot of guys or he's not elite in strikeouts. So he probably doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's 45th in walk percentage. He's 30th in whip. So I'm like, I have no idea what is the one thing he's leading the league in it's wins. So I really hope people aren't just sorting by wins or see those 19 wins and voting for him. Don't get me wrong. Legrand had a very good year, but there were to me, there were at least five, pitchers uh three starters for me I, I voted for two relievers in the in the nebraska for the johnson yeah i just i'm, I'm baffled with with the love i mean legrand's not going to win it so it's kind of a, a moot point but it is interesting to me how much love he's getting so i feel like you left out i i agree with you that there are probably some people who are voting for him based on wins i don't know that it's a ton i wish everyone would stop doing that as well but he did lead the league in two things that i consider exceptionally important he led the league in home runs, home runs per nine allowed mm-hmm. which in the Homer happy league. Like the BBA is a tremendous plus. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, if there's a, somebody 
long time ago on, I don't know if this still holds true. I think it does every time we look at it. Uh, what is the most important pitcher rating is the question, you know, and that's a silly question, right? Like, would you rather have stuff or movement or control? The answer is all of them. I want them all. Why would you pick one? But when you do that, the answer is movement. It's always movement. It's movement every time. It's the, it's the same as the, um, cause movement in BB and OTP terms is home run prevention. It's not actually Mm -hmm. pitch movement. And, it's the say it's the converse of that, you know, which if you had 30 points to assign to a batter and, you know, Chad pseudo jokingly, but not really said one, 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 26, one, one. Right. And that's the answer. That is the answer is you want to hit a home run. You want to hit, you want the player who's going to hit 150 home runs. That guy mm-hmm. doesn't exist in real life, but so Pierre Legrand led the league in home runs per nine and led the league in innings pitched. And so he actually has my first place vote, and that's the reason. Interesting. Inning, inning, innings pitched and home runs per nine. Um, I don't care how you get the outs. I care mm-hmm. if you get them. So the fact that he's not a massive strikeout guy. Now, if and, and that's for awards voting. In terms of going forward, I would take a whole bunch of these guys over Pierre Legrand. Sure. Um, but in terms of, of the award, I went with Legrand because he threw something like 40 to 50 more innings than any of his closest competitors and just didn't give up any home runs at all, despite the, and his walk rate's not bad. It's just, it's, no. right. it's not exciting. The strikeout rate's pretty pedestrian. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I could absolutely see, he's a weird one for me. He is, this is like the edge of where you can get for guy who just doesn't look that exciting, but got the job done. Cause normally I will go with a guy who just, absolutely dominated hitters but i don't know innings matter to me and nobody i don't even know if anybody else that's in among those leaders like broke 200 uh Uh, among like the elite pitchers no i mean there were i think maybe a dozen guys that pitched over for 200 innings i think christian garcia had 204 and he's probably gonna end end up doing well in the voting, but yeah, there uh, of the other guys that had 200, 220, I mean, LeGrand had 237. Uh, yeah, none of them were, had the, uh, the quality of Indians that, that LeGrand had for sure. Right. And, and again, this isn't a, you know, I, I messed around with this too, because if you took LeGrand out of the picture in his very strange year, which is kind of video game baseball-y in a way, um, there are guys who suppress run scoring like that in real life without striking guys out, but it's not that common. And it always makes, makes you kind of wonder did, how much did sequencing and luck play a role in the end results that the guy had. So if you throw him out, I would have gone with uh, Rivera like, just okay. easily. Um, I think my I think my top three were like Rand, Rivera, Leach, other people that also made sense and were exceptionally dominant. Uh, right. I just I love I love quantity. Like a quote, sure. the innings. I will like you know. This is the thing back when I think I got into a discussion with Aaron. We were talking about are Uber relievers that valuable? Would you rather have the twelve million dollar, you know, amazing hundred eighty inning reliever, or would you rather have like three guys that are you know getting paid less combined that are you know instead of a two five ERA they throw a three two and I might take the three two. You know, I, I will take. But instead of throwing hundred eighty innings, those three guys get you like two hundred and forty. Like I'll always take more good innings over fewer elite innings. I don't know if I'm right, but that's something I, I tend to tend to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're, they're not the same picture pitcher and they're not going to have the same numbers, but you know, what if Danny Leach was a starter 
you know, would his numbers go from super, super elite release numbers at a somewhat starter starting position, you know, uh, quantity, he, he pitched 180 innings, you know, does he re, quote unquote regress to a Pierre Legrand type? Maybe. And if that's true, that's still a very, very valuable pitcher. So no, no slide on Legrand at all. Uh, just to me, I thought they were better pitchers, but yeah, I mean, there are, besides you and I, there's 30 other GMs that would love to have Pierre Legrand. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's always, it's always an interesting debate and discussion. And, uh, as we were talking before this, now that I am a 40 year old man, I just don't get as fired up about people disagreeing with me as I used to. <laughs> just don't have, I don't have the energy for it. And I, I hopefully have learned some humility along the way that other people are, in fact, just as smart or smarter than I am and can get things done. So uh, that's great. Reasonably well. Was there another thing? That you... I have one other voting yeah, so. uh, thing to, to talk about. And uh, this is kind of a. Uh, oh, right. Actually, to me, to me, we don't actually uh, talk about this enough. I don't, I don't think. Um, I know we're we, we do this for fun, and, and this is a, this is a hobby, and, and we're all about the the numbers and stats. But uh, I, I wouldn't mind us, you know, kind of uh, whoever gets GM of the year, whether it's valid or not, you know, the the votes, you know, our votes. And if you win GM of the year, we should laud these guys for for the next, you know, 12 months of, of gameplay uh, because it's been said in the past, you know, this group of GMs is unbelievable. And if you can distinguish yourself as being one of the two best GMs, the best GM in your league, that is saying something. And so I do have a bone to pick in the GM, GM of the year. I voted for Kevin Dixon. I, I think there's I think Kevin and, and Aaron are both very, very worthy, wor- worthy winners. Uh, but I voted for Chris Roblard third, and Chris is way down ballot. And I don't think it really matters, you know, whoever finishes second or third or fourth or off ballot. Uh, really, it's just whoever wins. But I think people are kind of not giving Chris the credit that he's due. We just opened up the, the episode talking about Edmonton being uh, a series away from being in the finals. And when we've talked about on several podcasts, but, you know, the job that Chris has done with all of the injuries, he has 800 days lost to injury. That's 130 more than the next person. He's got $13 million on the I, uh, on the IL. That's second only behind Yellow Springs. And he still won 87 games. Uh, the media guide had him for 93. So he didn't miss, miss by much. Uh, the in game, you know, baseball news network, had him for 85 before the season started. So he actually uh, surpassed that. I, I think Chris has done a masterclass job of moving pieces around uh, what he did in the off season and what he's done in the past, you know, with depth. Uh, he made, you know, a couple of trades during the year. Uh, I just think Chris has done a phenomenal job. I don't think Chris is going to win it. And I don't think Chris should win it, but I think he's definitely being overlooked. So I wanted to give Chris some love you know, increase this, the, his hat size uh, more than it is. Uh, but I, I think uh, kudos to, to Chris's season and uh, uh, Edmonton season. It's, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with that. I actually voted Chris first. I think he should win it. I think, nice. the, I think the fact that he got that team in the playoffs with everything that happened to it, it it's not, maybe it's not like it, it showed that he could pull the right levers this year, not panic. 
um, you know, he bet he he bought low on Poshin Shi, who mm-hmm. at least for this year turns out you know kind of heated up and really helped him. Um, so you know, my when I look at GM of the year, it's year over year improvement is something I look at. Management yep. of you know, of in season difficulty, trades that were made before the season, after the season, you know, it's all of, all of those things. And I think and I think he just ticks so many boxes. Um, we tend to voting for the GM of the year requires a degree of paying attention. Yes, that most people don't want to put the effort into for an award that we don't talk about that much. Maybe if we did laud these people more, and I agree, we should do that because if you come out of this league as GM of the year, you should feel good about that. Um, and we should talk about it more. What tends to happen is people just tend to vote in order of win totals, and then they go, well, I do win totals, but Aaron's got a whole bunch of those, so I'll give it to Dixon this time. You know, it's, it's that sort of, like, and I think it's fine. It probably works out the same in the end, because Robillard probably got some, you know, when he had a billion wins, but he was also supposed mm-hmm. to have a billion wins. So it's, you know, and, and maybe that is the right move. Like, maybe you should give it to the guy who won the most games, because... While what they did that year might not have been that remarkable, they did put together the team that won all those games over the last few seasons. It's always, it's always one of those weird like, is it a now award? Is it a multi-season mm-hmm. achievement award? So you know, I don't know. I I tend to tend to try to find you know, ideally you get a situation like Stephen in Long Beach where they won a buttload of games and they did a crazy job both in the off season and in the season of adding players. Uh, yeah, I agree. It, it does take work. You know, we, I talked about how I do my voting and how, you know, everything's kind of laid out in front of us for, for, in Stat Plus, and that's not really the case in, in GM. And, and what I do is I, I actually, the first thing I sort by is the delta from the previous year. I take that into to great account. Um, and then I look at your current, you know, win total. But yeah, uh, I look at, you know, in-season moves, uh, depth trades uh and those kind of things and and those are the things that are harder to not only quantify but they do take a little extra work but um yeah i'm glad to hear that he got you know your your first place vote and uh yeah i mean whoever wins this did it did a great job the the whole point of of being a gm is to to win games so if you vote for the guy who had the most wins i i don't uh i don't fault you at all uh that's that's the job of the gm but yeah, there's it's uh, it's interesting to kind of see the the different uh, the way people factor things in. Right, and it, it says it probably all balances out if you do a good enough job over a long enough time, you'll you pick up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. Well, I didn't have a whole lot else to cover. Uh, if you think that you've hit most of your points, we could probably wrap this one up. That sounds good. Yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, the the last round, if if people didn't pay attention. Uh, to the last round of the playoffs, um, you know, take a look at the box scores or uh, do whatever you want, watch replays. But there were a lot of extra inning games, a lot of ninth inning games, um, you know, not too many blowouts. There were some oddities and, and weird things that, that went on. It was really entertaining. I think this next round is going to be going to be awesome. And, you know, we just talked about, you know, the voting season, get your votes in, uh, in the next two Sims, a uh, quick reminder to, to set your, uh, Florida prospect league, uh, rosters too, uh, within the next two Sims, cause that's going to start here shortly, uh, and lead to a whole new, uh, set of conversations. But, um, yeah, this is, this has been fun. Thanks for having me on Ted. No, thanks so much for, for filling in kind of last minute there. I really do appreciate it. So, 
And thanks to everybody who's listening. I hope you enjoyed this, and I'll talk to you again next time. I'm sure we'll have Joe back at some point in the future, unless he refuses to do it. We'll see. Okay. All right. right, (laughs) See you guys. You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at fesleyandstudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.